there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. The Argentinian children pushed and teased each other as they scuttled down the street. It was their favorite time of their favorite day. Church was over, and they had a whole Sunday to do whatever they wanted. Their young faces beamed as they all gathered around the thin, pale man who lived around the block. Though at a glance he seemed standoffish with his dark eyes and mane of graying black hair, the children had come to learn that he had a kind soul. He even handed them money for candy on occasion. They didn't get lucky that day. The man was in a hurry and paid the children no mind as he strode down the street. The children couldn't imagine the weight he carried on his shoulders. For he was Ettore Majorana, formerly one of the foremost physicists in the world. It was 1952 in sunny Argentina, and to the world at large, Ettore Majorana had been presumed dead for 14 years. In 1938, he boarded a boat bound for Naples, never to be seen again. Many assumed his disappearance was a suicide. But now, nearly 15 years later, there he was, spotted alive and well in South America. At least, that's what one theory claims. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com merch for more information. 
You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. This is our final episode on the mysterious disappearance of Ettore Majorana, the Italian physicist who vanished without a trace in 1938. It's hard for an ordinary person to fathom the burdens of fame. Your name is spoken all over the world by people you've never met. You become defined by your deeds, or your misdeeds, rather than the content of your character. You lose all right to privacy, or at least the level of privacy enjoyed by the less accomplished. It's the price one pays for genius. But what if a famous person decided one day that they no longer wanted to be in the spotlight? What if they decided they'd walk away from all of it, not just the spotlight, but their entire life as they knew it, just to get a little peace and quiet? It is that question that brings us to the subject of Ettore Majorana. In our last episode, we discussed Ettore's life and career. Born in 1906 in the city of Catania in the Sicilian region of Italy, Ettore had a privileged childhood thanks to his wealthy parents, and he showed an aptitude for mathematics at a very young age. After obtaining a degree in engineering from the University of Rome in 1925, Ettore was convinced by a group of young, bright physicists, collectively known as the Via Panisperna Boys, to abandon his chosen career of engineering and become a physicist. Ettore thrived in the following years. By the time he was 25, his peers considered him to be the smartest physicist among them. But Ettore, who was notoriously shy and often antisocial, often refused to publish his work or take credit for his groundbreaking ideas. Ettore left Rome for a time to live in Germany to study under Werner Heisenberg, the German scientist who would later be credited with creating quantum mechanics. In 1933, after a public embarrassment when one of the theories that he actually published proved to be incorrect, Ettore entered an extended period of isolation. For four long years, he hid out in his parents' home in Rome, refusing to leave or speak with anyone. Then, in 1937, as suddenly as he'd exiled himself, Ettore returned to the world of academia and took a teaching position at the University of Naples. It seemed as though he would go on to a great, notable scientific career and likely would have been recruited by either the Axis or the Allied powers to research the atomic bomb during World War II. But then... In March of 1938, Ettore took a weekend trip from Naples to Palermo in southern Italy. At the end of the weekend, he boarded the boat back to Naples, but when it docked, Ettore wasn't on board. His body was never found, and to this day, no one is positive what actually happened to Ettore Majorana. In this episode, we're going to examine the immediate aftermath and the decades-long fallout over Ettore's disappearance. We'll discuss the early efforts to locate him, the clues that popped up in the years and decades after he vanished, and the lost legacy he may have had if he hadn't vanished. Then we'll discuss and analyze the main theories 
on what really happened to Ettore Majorana. Our first theory is that Ettore committed suicide by jumping overboard in the night and drowning. This was the theory put forward by Italian police immediately after Ettore was first reported missing in 1938. The second theory is that Ettore was somehow captured by agents of an unknown government who likely wanted to make use of his knowledge of particle physics to help construct an atomic or nuclear device. Our third theory is that Ettore disappeared on purpose. He made his way out of the country and lived the rest of his life in seclusion with a new identity. A number of locations have been put forth as to where Ettore went, but Argentina and Venezuela are the two most popular. In late March of 1938, the first major clue that something was dreadfully wrong came from Ettore Majorana himself. On March 25, 1938, the same day that Ettore took the ferry from Naples to Palermo, he sent a letter to his boss, Antonio Corelli, who was the director of the Physics Institute at the University of Naples. It read, quote, Dear Corelli, I made a decision that has become unavoidable. There isn't a bit of selfishness in it, but I realize what trouble my sudden disappearance will cause you and the students. For this as well, I beg your forgiveness, but especially for betraying the trust, the sincere friendship, and the sympathy you gave me over the past months. I ask you to remind me to all those I learned to know and appreciate in your institute, especially Shuti. I will keep a fond memory of them all until 11 p.m. tonight, possibly later, too. Signed, E. Majorana. The message was alarming by itself, but Ettore actually seemed to feel like he needed to clarify. At around the same time, or possibly a few hours after he sent the first letter, Ettore sent a telegram to Corelli that simply read, quote, Don't be alarmed, a letter follows. Ettore seemed to have become concerned at how Corelli would react to his first letter, and he actually sent a follow-up letter that arrived the next day. Dated March 26, 1938, this second letter read, quote, Dear Corelli, I hope that my letter and telegram have reached you together. The sea has rejected me, and tomorrow I'll return to the Hotel Bologna, perhaps traveling together with this same letter. I have, however, decided to give up teaching. Don't take me for an Ibsen heroine, because the case is quite different. I am at your disposal for further details. So these letters together would seem to indicate that Ettore was considering something drastic. Whether that was suicide or simply running away was unclear. He got cold feet and realized he had sent his ominous note too soon and followed it up with a clarifying message that confirmed he was all right but would be giving up teaching. Regardless, Ettore never returned to Naples as he said he would. Corelli received the first note on Saturday morning, March 26th. He was alarmed and sent word to Ettore's family that something might be amiss. The search for Ettore began in earnest when he did not show up for class on Tuesday, March 29th. As his second letter stated, 
Etri was at that time living out of a room at the Hotel Bologna. When his brother Luciano arrived in Naples to help with the search, he went to Etri's room and found yet another note, this one also dated for March 25th. It read, quote, To my family, I've got a single wish, that you do not wear black for me. If you want to bow to custom, then bear some sign of mourning, but for no more than three days. After that, remember me, if you can, in your hearts, and forgive me. These three letters were the last known writings of Ettore Majorana. The search for Ettore was largely spearheaded by his brother Luciano, his boss Antonio Carelli, and other friends he had at the University of Naples. The Italian police were little help and actually seemed to have caused more harm by muddling the known details of the event. As Joao Magaju writes in A Brilliant Darkness, the police file on Ettore doesn't even get the dates right. There are a few explanations for this lax attitude. To the police, the letters Ettore left behind and the nature of his disappearance from the boat seem to indicate an open and shut case of suicide. This was 1938, just a year before the outbreak of World War II in Europe. Italy was a supremely fascist state, and the secret police were far more interested in jailing and executing enemies of the government than tracking down one bookish scientist who seemed to have done himself in. Enrico Fermi, Ettore's friend and sometimes adversary from the days of the Via Panisperna boys, even went all the way to Benito Mussolini, Italy's prime minister-slash-fascist dictator, and begged the man to increase efforts to find Ettore. Mussolini actually wanted to oblige Fermi, but it's unclear what he did to help with the search. Five months after Ettore vanished in August of 1938, the University of Naples formally confirmed his disappearance and revealed that no one had claimed his salary payments since he vanished. On December 6, 1938, the university officially acknowledged that Ettore was no longer a teacher there on the grounds that he had abandoned his position for more than 10 days. The police formally closed his file in April of 1939, just over a year after he vanished and just five months before World War II began. If the war hadn't happened, maybe Ettore's disappearance would have been a more global story. Maybe people in Italy and Germany might have had the time or the resources to really look for him. But they didn't, and Ettore hasn't been seen or heard from in the 80-plus years since that watery night in 1938. His disappearance robbed the scientific community of a brilliant mind. Up next, we'll look at the legacy that Ettore Majorana might have had if he hadn't disappeared. Now, back to the story. Before we dive into the big questions of what happened to Ettore Majorana and where he might have ended up, we want to look at how the man may have changed the world if he had lived in the public eye past 1938. We discussed in the last episode how Ettore was hesitant to publish his work, even when it was truly groundbreaking. He even wrote one paper that he never published, where he proposed the existence of the neutron within the atom a year before James Chadwick formally discovered the particle and was awarded the Nobel Prize. 
One can only wonder what other breakthroughs Ettore might have had a hand in if he hadn't vanished. Ettore's magnum opus of published work dealt with the existence of the neutrino, a weak, neutral elemental particle that is among the smallest subatomic particles known today. Neutrinos are sometimes produced in nuclear reactions. Ettore proposed the existence of the neutrino in 1937, but they weren't actually confirmed to exist until 1956, and the discovering scientist, Frederick Rhinus, was later awarded the Nobel Prize for finding it. It is likely that Ettore would have made this discovery much sooner if he hadn't vanished. What's more than likely is that Ettore Majorana would have gotten embroiled in the scientific arms race to unlock the destructive power of nuclear energy that presided over the Second World War and later the Cold War. The build-up to World War II was characterized by an interesting trend of Italian and German scientists fleeing to America to seek work at American universities, or more specifically, the American military. These scientists, who counted Fermi and Robert Oppenheimer among their ranks, had seen firsthand that the world was on the cusp of discovering the means by which to harness atomic energy. As many of these scientists came from Italy and Germany, there was a prevalent fear that the Axis powers would be the first to develop the atomic bomb. The result was the Manhattan Project, the top-secret military science collective that researched and developed the first active atomic bombs. It was an intense, costly, highly secret endeavor, and everyone agreed that Ettore would have been a great benefit to the project. As the story goes, Whenever the group of scientists would tackle a particularly difficult physics problem, Robert Oppenheimer would say, if only Ettore were here. So where was Ettore? Our first theory is that the police, lazy and inept as they were, got it right the first time when they concluded that Ettore Majorana committed suicide most likely by jumping overboard as the boat was en route to Naples. This is a fairly easy conclusion to reach, based on the immediately available facts. We know that Ettore bought a ferry ticket and was supposed to arrive home in Naples early in the morning on Sunday the 27th. Though there are no confirmed eyewitnesses that specifically recall him getting on the boat, at least one unknown passenger would later tell police that they were fairly certain they shared a cabin with Ettore. Ettore was not on the boat when it docked in Naples. The ferry ride can take anywhere from 9 to 12 hours, and much of that is in the open ocean in the middle of the Tyrrhenian Sea. No lifeboats were missing, and all life jackets were accounted for. So if Ettore went overboard, then he would have done so with nothing to help him stay afloat. And unless he jumped at the very beginning or the very end of the journey, he would have been hundreds of miles from the nearest landmass. All that accepted, Ettore likely drowned and his body was swept out to sea or eaten by predators. The alarming notes he left for Corelli and his family would seem to lend credibility to the suicide theory. In his first letter, he confessed to making an unavoidable decision that would lead to his disappearance. The letter certainly reads like Ettore is not only saying goodbye to Corelli, 
but also asking Corelli to pass his farewells on to everyone else he knew in Naples. The second letter claims that the sea rejected Ettore. That could be inferred to mean he tried to jump on the initial ferry that took him from Naples to Palermo and was retrieved by the ship's crew. Or perhaps he got cold feet and didn't try to jump during that stretch of the trip. Ettore then thought he may not have it in him to try again, and so he sent the second letter to Corelli, confirming that he would be returning to Naples, but would not resume his teaching position. Given Ettore's previous behavior in 1933, when he exiled himself to his parents' house and hardly left or spoke to anyone for four whole years, this letter could be read to assume that Ettore was preparing himself for another bout of voluntary isolation. But then, in the middle of the night, as the ferry cruised across the open ocean back to Naples, Ettore found his courage to do what he had initially set out to do. He jumped overboard and drowned some short time after. The final discovered letter, the one in which he asked his family not to mourn him for too long, seems ominous enough to confirm a suicide. Ettore was intensely private and often antisocial. He wasn't known to have many friends or lovers, and one can only imagine how a man with his intellect likely went through life feeling deeply lonely. Additionally, there never seemed to be a clear reason as to why Ettore pulled himself out of his isolation in 1937 when he first went after a teaching position at the University of Rome. The post was highly coveted, but a scientist of Ettore's genius and reputation likely could have secured employment just about anywhere he wanted. Perhaps after four years of solitude, he sought to return to the world he had all but left behind. But after a year, he felt that same powerful urge to just get away from everyone and everything he knew. But this time, the urge called for more than simple isolation. He didn't want to be alone on this earth or in the realm of the living at all. And so he got on that boat knowing he would never step foot on dry land again. At face value, a lot of this would seem to add up, but not all the known facts corroborate this story. For one thing, according to just about everyone who knew him, Ettore Majorana wasn't suicidal. Intense and eccentric? Naturally. But in the aftermath of his disappearance, everyone who knew the man, including Enrico Fermi and Ettore's own mother, spoke often to the fact that he was not depressed. Even during the four years of isolation, Ettore was said to be active and focused. He conducted his own research during those four years and only really became lethargic during a lengthy period where he suffered from a stomach infection. Ettore was introverted, but that doesn't necessarily translate to depression, especially suicidal depression. Another potential hole in the suicide theory is the fact that shortly before he set off on his fateful trip to Palermo, Ettore withdrew a huge sum of money from his bank account. Now, one could make a guess here that Ettore just wanted to erase as much of himself as possible before he took his own life. It's a compulsion that would be on par with his reluctance to publish or take credit for his own work. But Ettore shared that bank account with his mother. 
And while the relationship had strained during the four years when he was isolated, it would still be very out of character for Ettery to withdraw money that his mother could have used if he was going to drown himself without spending it. Finally, while the letters Ettery wrote in those final days certainly seemed to indicate he was planning something, none of them explicitly say that he was preparing to kill himself. Ettery's letters spoke of necessary and irreversible decisions, tearful goodbyes and apologies to those who he knew would be let down by his actions. But none of them specifically said that his plan was to end his own life. He even said specifically to Corelli in the second letter, quote, don't take me for an Ibsen heroine because the case is quite different. Henrik Ibsen was a playwright who wrote two famous plays in which the heroine dies by suicide at the end. While it's unclear which specific heroines Ettore was mentioning here, it would seem that he was leaving an appropriately ambiguous note that he was not interested in killing himself. Now, suicide and mental illness are by nature unpredictable, and it is entirely possible that despite all of the facts that might counter-argue the suicide theory, that is in fact what happened. In the absence of a body, we will never be able to confirm or deny this particular theory. Of course, there are some far more outlandish theories as to why a body was never found. One theory, as described in Brilliant Darkness, claims that Ettery actually completed the ferry ride back to Naples. From there, he clandestinely took a short train ride to the nearby Mount Vesuvius and committed suicide by jumping into the crater of the volcano. Vesuvius is the volcano that famously erupted and consumed the ancient city of Pompeii in the year 79 CE. It is among the most famous volcanoes in the world, and its very name conjures images of ash scorching the sky and eons of human creation wiped away in an instant by the unstoppable wrath of nature. And it remains an active volcano to this day. Ettore was always known for his theatrics in how he conducted his work and presented his theories. As far as methods of suicide go, you can't get more dramatic than jumping into an active volcano and the molten magma would ensure that no trace of his body would be left behind. The mystery of it all would be appropriate for such an enigmatic figure. But what about the other possibilities? The ones that state that Ettore survived his ferry ride and maybe even lived for decades after he vanished. When we return, we'll discuss the theories that Ettore was kidnapped or that he returned to self-imposed exile by faking his own death. Now back to the story. We've discussed the popular theory that Ettore Majorana vanished in 1938 when he committed suicide by jumping overboard from a ferry he was traveling on. But there are other theories that actually hypothesize that Ettore may have lived past 1938. Our second theory is that Ettore was kidnapped by government agents who are determined to make use of his knowledge of subatomic particles and even potentially force him to work on building a nuclear bomb. Now, the theory varies depending on who you ask, but the Nazis are one candidate for Ettore's kidnappers. As we've said, Germany was heavily invested in scientific research in the years preceding and during World War II. Ettore's friend and former mentor, 
Werner Heisenberg, was one of the primary scientists working on Nazi Germany's nuclear weapons project during World War II. Heisenberg had always admired Ettore's genius, so it's possible the Nazis kidnapped Ettore so that he could assist Heisenberg with his work. However, the recurring fact of note regarding this particular theory is that the dates don't really add up. Ettore vanished in March of 1938. The German government's first record of an effort to develop nuclear weapons is in April of 1939, over a year later. And the official mission didn't formally begin until the start of World War II, when Germany invaded Poland in September of 1939. It seems unlikely, though still possible, that the Nazis would have the foresight to kidnap such a prominent physicist only to wait for more than a year to begin nuclear weapons development in earnest. The fact that Heisenberg never mentions working with Ettore during this time is also more than enough to put this one to rest. Heisenberg and Ettore were friends. What's more, Heisenberg's relationship with the Third Reich had cooled during the duration of the reign due to his Jewish heritage. After the war, Heisenberg would have had no reason to not tell the world that Ettore had been working with him the whole time. Another potential culprit are the Soviets. While a Russian plot to kidnap a prominent scientist may seem like something out of a James Bond movie, there's some historical data to support it. After World War II, Russia commenced Operation Osoviakim, a campaign in which Soviet troopers kidnapped thousands of German scientists and spirited them to Russia, where they were forced to work for the Soviet government. After the fall of Nazi Germany, a number of prominent scientists were up for grabs, with both America and the Soviet Union scrambling to recruit as many as they could in preparation for the brewing Cold War. But again, the dates are just a little off here. It wasn't until 1940 that Russian scientists had a confirmed plan to develop nuclear weapons, and efforts to build a bomb weren't really supported in earnest until after the detonations over Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. Again, if the Soviets had Ettore for all that time, it seems odd that they wouldn't have gotten to work sooner. It has also been proposed that Ettore was actually kidnapped by Allied soldiers and forced to work for the U.S. government and eventually the Manhattan Project. The United States had its own version of Operation Osoviakim. It was called Operation Paperclip, and it too focused on recruiting, capturing, and sometimes outright kidnapping Nazi scientists and putting them to work for the American government. So we know that America wasn't above kidnapping a foreign scientist. But the question here is, would they have really kidnapped Ettore Majorana in 1938? It seems unlikely, if for no other reason than the fact that it would have been nearly impossible to keep Ettore's involvement with the Manhattan Project a secret if he was really involved. Ettore had friends on the project, and there's no discernible reason why none of them would comment on Ettore's place in the movement if he had really been there. There's one final addendum to this theory, the belief that the Nazis were behind the disappearance, but that they actually killed Ettore to preemptively stop him from moving to America and helping the Allies develop the atom bomb, as Fermi would later do. But again, 
If the Nazis had the foresight to consider Ettore that valuable, then they would have also known that he would have been much more useful to them alive. Given how easy it seems to be to discount the kidnapping theory, one might wonder where these hypotheses even come from. Well, the answer is twofold. A number of Ettore's relatives and friends allegedly stated that they believed he might have been kidnapped. This could stem from a desire to deny the possibility that Ettore vanished willingly, either by suicide or by running away. People wanted to believe that he hadn't abandoned everyone in his life of his own accord, because the alternative is much more hurtful. The second origin of this theory is comic books. Ettore Majorana is a supremely popular pop cultural figure in Italy, even today. That is in no small part due to a number of fantasy comic books that feature Ettore as a reluctant scientist who does battle with Nazi and Soviet spies. He even uses his genius inventions to travel to other dimensions. As is sometimes the case with these kinds of mysteries, the popular fiction became entwined with the fractured real story and created a widely propagated theory that had little basis in fact. Still, it's an interesting prospect to think about. So, if Ettore didn't kill himself, and if he wasn't kidnapped, then what really happened? Our final theory, and the one with the most factual support, is that Ettore Majorana ran away and lived out the rest of his life in seclusion in a foreign country. There are a few variations as to what Ettore specifically did after he vanished, but we should first examine the likelihood that he managed to get off that boat without anyone noticing. The fact that Ettore withdrew most of his savings shortly before he vanished is one of the big facts that support the runaway theory. Emptying your bank account without warning is certainly an indicator that a person is about to go on the run. Additionally, recall that Ettore's return ticket is considered to be the prime piece of evidence that proves he got on the ferry for Naples. But that piece of information isn't as confirmed as some have been led to believe. Immediately after Ettore disappeared, the family claimed that they recovered a copy of his ticket, which proved he got on the boat. But beyond that claim, no one else has ever seen this ticket, and if it still exists today, it has been lost. This could indicate the possibility that Ettore never got on the boat in the first place, and in fact, set off for parts unknown from Palermo. Or even if he did get on the boat, he could have taken off upon arrival. The boat docked in Naples at six in the morning and no one was waiting for him. There was no one at the Naples dock who could actually confirm whether or not Ettore simply stepped off the boat, got on a train, and left Italy forever. Proponents of this theory have a number of explanations for where Ettore actually ended up. One train of thought holds that Ettore fled to a monastery and spent the remainder of his life as a monk. The main fact that supports this theory is the statement of Monsignor Riccieri, a bishop who presided for a time in Catania, the town where Ettore was born, and claimed to have known him during the period shortly before Ettore vanished. Riccieri is vague in his recollection, but he allegedly stated that Ettore certainly did not commit suicide, 
but rather had a mystical crisis. He cited the confidentiality of the confession booth to get out of having to say any more. So there's not a lot to this one, but it does raise an interesting idea about Ettore's motivations for running away, if that's what he really did. Another uncorroborated theory says that Ettore gave away all of his possessions and roamed Naples as a beggar. He grew out his hair and beard, just as he had during his four years of isolation, until he was unrecognizable. He would wander near the university and even help students with math on occasion. This one seems more like a fairy tale than anything based on fact. Well, there's no body to confirm what really happened. Anything, no matter how unlikely, has to be taken into consideration. The last group of theories about where Ettore went when he vanished places him in South America, in either Venezuela or Argentina. There were more than a few accounts that placed Ettore in Argentina in the years and decades after he vanished. Throughout the 1950s and 1960s, a story spread through Argentina that in 1950, a hotel owner named Signora Talbert had hosted Ettore Majorana in a room. That story first started to travel overseas in 1960 when a Chilean physicist named Carlos Rivera took a table at a hotel restaurant and started scribbling an equation on the tablecloth. A waiter approached Rivera and explained that the restaurant had a frequent guest who also liked to scribble math on the tablecloth. His name was Ettore Majorana. Rivera didn't follow up on the story, but he did lead other scientists and curious historians to Buenos Aires. As it would happen, a number of people would claim to know Ettore Majorana. In fact, many would claim that in Buenos Aires, everyone knew Ettore. They just didn't know where he was. In 2011, an Italian news channel revealed a black and white picture of two men. The picture was stated to have been taken in 1955, and one of the men had 10 points of facial recognition with Ettore Majorana as he looked in 1938 when he vanished. Now, there are up to 80 nodal points, that is, the landmarks or details used for facial recognition, on any given face. But still, 10 matching points between decades-old photographs is enough to provide the possibility of uniformity. The picture reveal caused a small media sensation. In fact, the attorney's office in Rome announced shortly after that it had reopened the investigation into Ettore's disappearance. The new investigation did not locate Ettore, but amazingly, it did reach a conclusion. The official position of the Italian police as of 2015 is that Ettore Majorana was definitely alive and living in South America during the mid to late 1950s. Unfortunately, this conclusion does little to explain why Ettore left it all behind. But then, consider what we do know. Ettore was shy. He wasn't the most social person. He was deeply concerned with the fame that his work brought into his life. Perhaps most telling is this. In 1933, when Ettore was just beginning his descent into self-imposed exile, he was quoted as saying, Physics is on the wrong road. 
we're all on the wrong road. One of the more popular explanations for why Ettore ran away is that he had an extreme reaction to an existential crisis regarding his work and his place in the field of physics. In short, Ettore was smart enough to realize that the field of theoretical physics was going to eventually give mankind the power of the nuclear bomb. He saw that his work, the entire course of study that he devoted his life to, was going to make the world a more dangerous place, one that would put our entire species on the brink of annihilation. And so, he chose to walk away and absolve himself from the whole affair. Extreme? Naturally. This is the man who abandoned his career and his friends for four whole years because he published a theory that turned out to be partly wrong. We'll never know definitively why Ettore abandoned his life, his friends, his family, or his career. But the most likely theory does seem to be that he somehow made his way to South America and lived there in solitude until at least 1959. After that? Well, Ettore would have turned 100 in 2006 if he was still alive. Even if he reached his 100th birthday, it's extremely unlikely he would still be alive today. We may have a solid guess of what happened to Ettore, but the why will always remain unexplained. As Enrico Fermi said shortly after Ettore first vanished, quote, Ettore was too intelligent. If he has decided to disappear, no one would be able to find him. And at least in Ettore's lifetime, no one ever did. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, Sound design by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode was written by Colin McLaughlin and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Mm-hmm.